This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. Welcome everyone. Okay, Adam and I just had a great conversation and we hope you'll listen. I always ask my guests, what is it that you hope people take away from this conversation that we just had? What do you think, Adam? Every young person deserves to discover um, their sense of purpose, their, which can be multiple things. Yep. Um, everyone who supports young people has the opportunity to help them discover their purposes. And that there are an emerging set of opportunities beyond high school graduation that enable young people to actually act on those purposes in ways that can minimize cost, opportunity cost and real cost while also giving them the flexibility to go into professions that resonate with them. That's a great summary. And for me, I would summarize it in saying that I've been doing all this work on helping mid-career or what do they call like people that are in their 40s, I'm mid-career, really figure out what went wrong in their life and why the formula didn't work for them and helping them kind of get back to their passion and purpose. So it was really exciting to hear you solving this big juicy problem that as a career educator, I've been working with adults now that get kind of in trouble 20 years into their career. And I'm really excited that people like you are working on this with teenagers. And I can't wait to get back into this with teenagers, my own kids and the high school that I'm starting. So it was super fun. And I think people are going to love this conversation about passion and how do you help teenagers, young people get really, really clear And Adam breaks down, you know, all the the multiple purposes and different frameworks. And he shares research he's done for his doctorate and different books he's read. So there's so much great information in here. I know you guys will love it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, David. All right. Welcome, everyone. Super excited today to be here with Adam Carter, who I've known for a long time. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, David. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. So Adam and I, great to be together. Adam and I worked together for several years and we were kind of joking about all the different stories that we share through our time in education. And we're definitely share the education change-making crazy gene. 
And Adam's always up to really interesting things. And on that note, I wanted to start by asking him after 20 years at Summit Public Schools with a few years off, you're up to something new called Point B. And I'd love for you to share what that's all about and um, so people can learn about it. Sure. It's fun to be with you, David. I'm, um, Point B is really born out of the experience of watching so many high school students go through high school, even at a really good high school. So one that cares about them as people, that has a bunch of systems of wraparound support, that brings the community in, that involves parents in appropriate ways, uh, that's of the community. So even in a great high school environment, there is this moment in which all students face anxiety and uh, really are on their own. And that is as they approach life after high school. So while I've been at Summit, we've put in place a number of mechanisms to help support students and families in doing this post-secondary planning. And that's all framed around this concept of purpose. So how are you able to really purposefully approach life after high school? <clears throat> we've introduced curriculum, we've introduced projects, we've introduced a robust internship and externship programs, all kinds of good stuff. But born of that remained this idea that this model that we've called College for All since about 1990 just isn't serving a lot of students. And in fact, isn't just not serving them, it is creating shame rather than dignity as they enter into their adult lives. So in this phase of emerging adulthood that spans from about year 17 to about 25 years old, um, this is a time where you're, you're really creating a professional identity, an academic identity. And in this time, there's very little support beyond what's provided to you by your family. And there's very little through line between high school and your next step. So yeah. we can do whatever we want in high school, but the truth is that fewer than half of the people in this country, fewer than 40% of the people in this country are going to go on and get a bachelor's degree. And yet our whole K-12 system is engineered towards the outcome of a bachelor's degree. So point B exists to help support all students in defining who they are in part and what their goals are, what their values are. But then more importantly, what are the opportunities available to them after they graduate that allow them to make ends meet, allow them to live where they want to live, and that allow them to invest in their ongoing learning so that they can be a part of a profession and not enter into a dead-end job. So um, that's sort of a, that's the problem we're aiming to solve and yeah. the technology platform that helps match young people to opportunities beyond high school. Okay. Okay. And I know you're in the early stages and it's officially launching in August and I'll share the website in the show notes. And this came out of your dissertation, is that correct, for your doctorate? Yes. So um, a lot of that was um, that dissertation was around exploring why is it that we are as a country so bad at supporting young people and their journeys out of formal education and into right. the real world? Okay. So, so many juicy questions, follow-up questions. And because I know you, I'm like, this is going to be fun. So... Okay. When I was, when I was dreaming up growth public schools, which is now in its seventh year, I coming out of some public schools and the charter movement where it's like college for all college for all. And we know why this happened because before that it was college for the select few. Right. And so then we went college for all and KIPP was born and a lot of other schools that are like KIPP. And it was like all about college for all, which again, as a first generation college student, I'm like, I'm really glad we were doing this for many years. But when I started GPS and I had this like 30 year vision of like, where do we need to go in 30 years? I was like, I don't think college for all is going to be where we are going because the world is changing and 
the price of college is going up, the investment return on investment is going down. Like there's so many reasons why in reading the tea leaves, I was like, this is hard for me, but I'm not putting anything about college for all. I mean, it's K-8, but still a lot of K-8 charters are very much, you know, like rocket ship from the day you get to kindergarten, you're talking about college. So I want to hear, you know, what is the, why it, why no longer college for all? I mean, I kind of put some of it in there, but from your perspective, is this, is point B going to help kids get to college? Is that one option? Are there many options? Just tell me what you're thinking about all this. Sure. Yeah. I'll start with the why, why not college for all? And Mm -hmm. so I'm right there with you. I mean, in 2002, when I was facing the idea of leaving teaching altogether, because I didn't feel like the system was allowing me as an individual contributor, as an individual teacher to do right by every student every day. And that felt like sort of a, a moral hit. I mean, I'm not going into education because of the, the wild pay and <laughs> the exuberant lifestyle, but um, really about the, the meaning and the yeah. impact. And so like everybody who gets an education. So in that context, when I didn't feel like I was able to actually achieve the goals I came in to achieve, I was considering leaving. And then college became sort of a proxy for meeting the needs of every student in a diverse school community. So the reason I joined Summit in the first place, when it was just an idea, we didn't even have a building yet, was all about the idea of working with a group of people who are unwilling to give up on any student. And our proxy for that was, does every student feel cared for every day, see academic progress every day, and then at the end of the time with us, do they have at least one acceptance in hand to a four-year college? And... If we meet these criteria, then we have a solid school community. Well, I've just in the last 20 years evolved a little bit, and I think the world has evolved too. And you mentioned a few things. So there is genuinely a lower ROI and on a four-year college. It does not any longer guarantee a middle-class lifestyle. And the actual cost of college going up dramatically is one of the major reasons for that. So. Even even though a degree uh, retains real labor market value from a four-year institution, any four-year institution, but there's huge segmentation within the four-year market as well, you know, Harvard and no shade on the CSUs, but there's a big gulf between the Harvards and the CSUs. And so so if you're looking at college as a means to economic mobility, then you really are looking at the CSUs and the CUNY. The state, just because people that maybe yeah. don't, California State University, so the state schools, which every state has some version of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, Michael Sandel, who wrote The Tyranny of Merit, gave a great, um, a great analogy, I think really holds for the elite institutions in this country, which is um, if colleges exist for social mobility, then the most elite universities in this country are those in which people get onto the elevator on the top floor and then get off the elevator on the top floor. So yep. they aren't engines of social mobility. It's just yeah. the top 1% gets to go in and out of that elevator to yes. Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and uh, Princeton. So, um, so there's diminished ROI, higher cost, which equals higher debt. The fact that in the end, the labor market value conveyed by college all is wrapped up in a single piece of paper, your diploma. It's yeah. not about the actual human capital that is accrued over the course of four to six years in these institutions. So who does that hurt? That hurts, hurts low-income students and students of color. And the um, disproportionate debt load is held by Black students in this country mm-hmm. who, I mean, we're looking at 
what is it, uh, 1.75 trillion debt category at this point in terms of student loan debt. That's the second only to mortgages of people of U.S. Um, but people in the U.S. Right. <laughs> so it's become a massive debt category. On top of it, we have this explosion of um, non-degree bearing certifications. And through the Biden administration, and even prior to that, the Trump administration, there have been higher investments in apprenticeship programs uh, through the Department of Labor, but then also in community colleges, particularly through the Biden administration, uh, where they see community colleges as engines of economic mobility in the country. Yeah, so, which is where I started, you know that. <laughs> yeah, you were at, in Santa Barbara. I started there and... What I would tell our students is all the time that it's a 17% transfer rate at Santa Barbara City College, which is one of the, like, it's always ranked the number one in the nation because they have all the professors went to UC Santa Barbara, couldn't get a job there. And then we're like, I'll just teach at City College and I still have a PhD. So there's a really, it's a really great school. But the point is that only 17% transfer and that's the highest transfer rate, I believe. I'm, I'm sure it hasn't changed much since I was there 20 or a few years ago, but basically that that is a okay so keep going so the community colleges are looking into more of like apprenticeship and different ways to have a job after after school right yeah the smartest community colleges right now are investing in programs in which you can get credits that are you, you bear credits towards degree but they also have industry certifications and so okay. uh, that that pairing or even just going hard at the industry certifications is what a lot of older learners have been looking for. And what point B, one of the things we're looking to do is to close that gap between these 23 year olds who have really been, um, gotten some kicks from life. Like they have left high school and had to encounter the difficulty of working in dead end jobs, trying to provide for a family and then seeking wherever they can, any sort of opportunity for economic mobility for themselves and their family. And then finding these certifications in community colleges, largely or apprenticeship programs. How do we shorten that so that we actually enable high schoolers to know about this type of program? They're usually shorter duration and lower cost, if not free. And you end up with a real skill whether it's in the trades or healthcare, IT, it can be in any number of fields, but you leave with a real skill that you can really apply. And in the best cases, it creates a ladder of mobility in which you go in and you're not getting rich after a nine month degree or certification, but that can lead to another certification after while you work. And that's in the best case. Healthcare is the best example of this sort of ladder. Mm -hmm. There there are others that are getting built out. And so the same time that four-year colleges are being squeezed hard, and and young people, Gen Z is very reasonably asking, is this worth it? Yeah. Because they've seen their brothers and parents and sisters and nephews and cousins, whatever, going through and being like, it, I did, left with a lot of debt and not a lot of, uh, you know, ability to get a good job. Right. So they see that and they quite rightly ask, should I be doing this? And is there anything else out there? And point B exists to help answer those questions for them. And even better yet, we're working with high schools because we know that with young people there, it provides an opportunity before life is like right there with them. Exactly. For them to explore themselves and the types of activities they really want to make a part of their professional life. Okay. I love this on so many levels. And you know, from my own personal story that I did not go into education until I was almost 30. And if I could have had something like this when I was 17, I mean, it's like life changing. Cause what did you say? You said, and like, except for the family, no one's really giving you much advice. Well, my parents weren't college educated. So they were kind of like, 
we're unclear why you're even going to school at all. Like, why don't you just go get a job? You know? And it was like, I had to go against the grain and be like, no, I'm going to college because I think that's, I didn't know the language then, but I'm like, I think that's the doorway to the middle class. Like, I feel like there's something there, you know, like, and, but I had no idea what I was doing. So for most of my twenties, I don't regret it because I had a lot of fun. Like I travel the world and lived in DC and lived in London and it was great, but it, it took me all of my twenties and I could have maybe chosen to do that instead of just falling into that and felt bad for like nine years that I was got all this debt. I was the first one to graduate and here I am just living in Costa Rica and, you know, <laughs> working in DC, but not even having a real job in DC, like doing temp jobs and being like, I have this fancy Berkeley degree and my family was so proud of me. I was the first one and I went to the best public institution and, you know, it was like, but nobody cares in DC. Cause I, you know, I don't have 42 connections that are in Congress and work for the president or whatever. And so I was like working at a restaurant and temping. And then I, but I did find my purpose. And I wanted to ask you about that. Cause I know that's one of the things that you guys are focusing on is because I do think nowadays jobs change drastically. So I love that you said this kind of like, you get a certificate, maybe, and you go up a ladder, right? And it leads to more things because I don't like the CTE programs that are like, we're going to get you a blank certificate. And then you're like, I'm a dental hygienist. And you do that for a year and you're like, I don't like smelling people's breath all day or whatever. And so you're like, what do I do now? And then this is like a lot of my family members, like my nieces and nephews that are like, I got a certification to be a dental hygienist. And now I'm working as a waiter, you know, because I didn't really like it. And I, and I went into debt. I got 25 grand in debt for like some private, you know, institution. So I love that you talked about that. And so what happens to people? How do they, how do people really find their purpose? Cause when I go through my life, I'm like, my purpose has always been teaching, coaching, mentoring, and it's just different flavors of that. Even when I worked in the bank, I was always training everybody and mentoring people. So how do you help people? How do you help 17 year olds? Some people might laugh and be like, they don't know what their purpose is, which I disagree with. But how do you help a 17-year-old find their purpose and, and pick that kind of direction they're going to follow? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a huge question. It's a great question. It's a um, dissertation of a question. So I'm going <laughs> to... Um, gonna You're going to do great. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I would recommend before I launch into anything here, um, Bill Damon at Stanford, um, the Center for Adolescence, um, wrote a great book called The Path to Purpose, which essentially answers this question. But okay. I'll, I'll try and boil it all down. So like, first of all, what is purpose? When we talk about it, it's actually very simple. Um, there's three components. You have an intention. So think of it as a goal, if you will, but a goal just feels so, you know, specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic. Yeah. Time. Like, it's, this is a I check out. It's too narrow. So more of an intention. Like I want to be able to yes. provide for my family and... Um, and I, I love teaching, something like that. So then you have to be engaged in moving towards that goal. That's the second component is engagement. So you have an intention. You actually have to be doing something. So how many people, how many seniors in high school have you met? You're like, what do you want to do next year? And they're like, I'm going to be in the NBA. And you're like, oh, you must be an amazing basketball player. And they're like, no, I'm five foot three and I've uh, never played basketball. I'm going to play jams on, <laughs> on the um, video game console. So um that's totally a dated reference, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. But um, the the idea being that like you have to be actually be engaged in working towards that intention. And then the third is that intention and the work towards it needs to be pro-social. So that's a fancy word for saying it needs to be bigger than you. It can't just be, I want to be rich to be rich. Um, yeah. You hear that a lot, but that's really not a very strong purposeful intention because right. 
what do you do when you're rich? You're just sitting on your money. Like, great. Purpose. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's part of purpose. That's what purpose is. So your question though, is like, how do you support young people in actually gaining a sense of purpose? Yeah. And first I'd say it's not a single thing. And that, that is a, um, that puts a lot of pressure on purpose when you're like, you have a purpose or you don't have a purpose. Exactly. I agree. It's too much. It's too much. Nobody can bear that Crazy. kind of weight. Yeah. Um, but like you said, like there's, there's in your own life, you can probably think about things that you have as intentions that you're working towards actively. So there's clearly a sense of curiosity, teaching, learning that's happening in this podcast and you're dedicating time to it. Yeah. Certainly in your professional life, um, creating systemic change to make, education, more inclusive, uh, more equitable, more personalized. That's like GPS. And then you probably have purposes around your own family as well. And so it's okay that there are multiple sort of avenues. That's one. The second is that um, I like to think about purpose as gravity a little bit. Like it's a thing that organizes activity in your life. And create sort of like a pull towards yeah. lots of things moving towards. And so I think the more we can help young people gain exposure to a wide array of things, like I'll, I'll give a personal example. My dad really wanted me to play baseball. Everybody in my family is a baseball player. Like my granddad was semi-pro baseball, like all sorts of long-winded stories of baseball. My family, I hated baseball. And <laughs> they tried to like push me into baseball. Yeah, And I tried it and I didn't like it. And instead of saying like, well, you tried it, didn't like it, maybe next year, he like pushed it on me. And yep. in doing so made me say, screw baseball forever. Like I will never play baseball again. And I did. Yep. Um, and so I think one mistake we make as parents and educators is we try, maybe we see something in someone or maybe we have our own opinions or values and we try and impose them on young people. Right. Not the, the right way to build purpose. The other way would be to just truly education through in K-12 should allow for loads of experiential learning Yes, in which students are able to just try something out, try being a designer for this week. And then if you like it, what parts of it did you like reflect on it? Because the chances are you're not going to be a designer, but there might be aspects of that design work that you love. Like maybe it was the project management aspects of design rather than the actual, what we think of artistic aspects. of If you know those pieces, we call them INGs, but like, that means like ings, like verbs. Oh, yeah. So I like working with people. I like working outside. Oh, yeah. To care, like caring for animals. Like these are the types of things that can help you organize or better understand your purpose. For me, it was all around teaching. It sounds yeah. like for you too. As I reflected, I was like, I really love like being in a school. I don't know why, but I like that sort of formal environment. Yeah. I really like... Um, conveying and facilitating uh, learning experiences. This is just, I love mentoring young people. And so it all kind of wrapped around, like, I think I like education. Yeah. So helping, that, that goes from exposure to exploration, which has a high reflective uh, component to it. I'll say the last two things on uh, trying to build purpose in young people are, so you got exposure, exploration, and reflection. It needs to go into planning, So there has to be some sort of process essentially and space given to actually creating plans that help you engage in your intention. Uh, That is, that is something that will really help. Yeah. The, The fourth is around support and support has really two components. It is 
being able to articulate to others who matter to you um, what it is that you need from them. So I really want to, I think I want to like pursue this two-year certification. Uh, I want to do it for these reasons. Uh, here's, I've thought it through. This is my intention. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'd ask of you. Uh, so part of it is like actually being able to make asks of people who are, who matter to you and who can yeah. give you support. And the other flip side of that is to really understand your constraints. So the student who I gave the ridiculous example of, but truly this is conversations I've had with seniors who don't yeah. play basketball. Um, the NBA example is I've asked them like, I mean, you're going into the NBA. Like, do you know what that's like? Do you know how to do it? And they have no idea. Yeah. They have no understanding of the constraints they're working within. I can see them. You can, see, I mean, it's obvious to anyone outside, but yeah. never really dug in. And finances are, of course, the number one constraint that most young people face. So uh, that's the sort of four-part way of helping support young people in building purpose is give them broad exposure. Help them explore those places where they are able to reflect and want to go deeper by naming the things that they find purposeful or care about a lot, their interests. Yeah. Then help them marshal support around the plan to, um, <clears throat> to like actually achieve that purpose. And then um, have, have them go through a realistic constraints activity or set of activities so that, you know, they can do what you did, which, I mean, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but it's a really smart path. If you want to go to Berkeley and get a four-year degree to start at a two-year institution, pick your classes very, very wisely or else you won't be able to transfer them with credit. But then if you're able to, you just got two cheap years of Berkeley that nobody's ever going to ask about. You're getting your, your plum diploma from Cal. And that is a very valuable four-year degree. And you yeah. did it for lower cost. That's a very smart plan, in other words, but that would require yeah. uh, those four components to be true. For yeah, well, what's interesting about my story is that you're giving me way too much credit. I didn't plan it that way. <laughs> I did have friends that I would see at community college and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be here for two years. So I'm thinking, wait, you were a good student. What are you doing here? Right. Because interestingly enough, 50% of my traditional comprehensive high school will go to Santa Barbara City College. So to your point of not getting a lot of support, that 50% is it's an affluent suburban high school. So the other 50%, either they went right into a job, which is probably the kids that, you know, they even think they want to go to city college. And then it's the 20% or the 10% that went to, you know, good schools or maybe 30%, I don't know. But the point is that I did not know, well, I did not know what I was doing. I literally just said, I have like a 2.8 GPA. I missed the whole entire year of high school because I cut classes so many times. So I was so incredibly disengaged by school. And, but I love learning, right? I'm a love, I love learning, but the school did not help me enjoy learning. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just go to city college. And then I worked full time, but I had a stepmother who was highly educated and she had planted that kind of seed when I was about eight. She was only around for about five, five, six years, but she had like, she had a brother who went to Cal and she had, and he was super cool. And he would come hang out with us in Fremont and he took me to Berkeley. So I kind of had this like, seed planted. So I just, that was my North star. I was like, I just want to go to college because it feels like the people around me that are happiest in this suburban affluent community have gone to college. Right. And my dad being an entrepreneur was like, that's a complete waste of time. <laughs> like He's like, just go start a company. Like, what are you doing? And so I didn't have the support. And in fact, I went against my family. Right. So those four things you laid out, I feel like that allows people to have clarity to gain clarity. 
and to like build the North star around purpose and have multiple purposes. And the constraints thing at first, I was like, ah, that's so hard. Because remember when we would do those annual personalized learning plans with our mentor group at summit prep. And when we were both teachers and then, you know, kid comes in ninth grade and says, he wants to be in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And your first thought is I don't want to be the dream killer. Yep. Like I don't want to be the one who tells this kid, Hey, guess what? Only 0.03% of people make it to the NBA. There's only what 600 people in the whole world that play in it. Now it's an international. So it's like, there's only 300 Americans that play in the NBA. So I'd be curious how you're going to be one of those 300. So you don't want to crush their dreams. So I like the constraints exercise because interestingly enough, both of my kids are very good basketball, like very good basketball players. So like my daughter is now just turned 10 and she's like, I want to be in the WNBA. My son's about to be 13 and he used to say he wants to be the NBA. So I don't say to them, Hey, that's a really unrealistic dream. And you should give up on your life right now. And you should go work at McDonald's, <laughs> which is what a lot of us do to our poor children. Right. What I say to those like, Oh, that sounds really cool. That's a really cool North star. And I wished I could be in the NBA, but I wasn't good enough. Maybe you'd be better than me. You already know 5 million more things than I do because nowadays you learn, start learning in kindergarten. Like maybe you'll be better than me and maybe you'll make, or like you could be like your basketball trainer. She played in Europe for 10 years and, or you could decide to coach high school or you could write a book, a children's book about your journey to the NBA and how it didn't actually work the way you thought. You know, there are multiple ways you could follow this passion and this purpose around the love of basketball. And so I love your framework because you're just validating what I do at home. But, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I love your framework because it allows for people to do the constraints to give kids a realistic picture. Because what would we do with those ninth graders? At, out of moral imperative, we would give them a realistic picture or like, hey, listen you probably want to start studying because, you know, you might not, you know, for a while, my son said he wanted to be a gamer and he's watching YouTube and there's 23 year olds that are throwing around Mr. Beast, you know, one of the richest people in the world, throwing around just thousands of dollars all the time. And they're like, I could do that. And so I never tell them they can't. I always ask them, do you know the pathway? Like you said, do you know the pathway to become a YouTuber? And you look it up and you're like, Mr. Beast started when he was 12 and he posted every single day for 10 years or something. And it took him commitment and excellence and perseverance and entrepreneurial spirit and all these things. It's not like he just showed up and had, you know, hundred million subscribers. So all this to say is that I love what you're doing. It makes perfect sense. And I'm actually really wondering why we don't have more high schools actually investing in this and doing this. Well, yeah, I'm also wondering, so I was wondering the same thing. And I started <laughs> looking around like, why aren't we? And one of the things, I mean, I know one of the things we worked on a lot when we were working together at Summit was around trying to get assessments that matter in place. So, and I think the way I know the way we thought about that was around college readiness. That was the defining right. principle. How do we build a model that enables all students to be college ready and every day they're making progress towards that readiness? Well, that assumes a single destination, which has um, is problematic. But on top of it, and it's not everyone's destination. Yeah. But on top of it, I think that like um, there is a there is not uh, even as you look at those four things: cognitive skills, content knowledge, habits of success, slash social emotional learning, and then sort of like next step or college readiness step. Have you actually gotten a gotten a piece of paper that says you got into the school? Yeah. Um, what it leaves off is the fact that there's a lot of anxiety around that next step, and that while that won't be the same 
destination for everyone. Those four-year schools just aren't right for everyone. Um, there's anxiety for everyone. And yes. it's like, why don't we have more, why don't we plug into some of the real stakes that exist in the world? Because whether or not you're going to Harvard or you're going to Santa Barbara Community College, or you have no idea what you're doing, you're going to get in the car the day after graduation and drive down El Camino yeah. and look at help wanted signs, which a lot of grads have done in the past and yeah. told us about. Um, no matter what that is, you have, and your family has, a lot of concerns about what happens that day after graduation and that fall after you graduate from high yeah. school. And I've talked to a lot of kids who've gone to Ivy League schools and without this sense of purpose, they just felt like it was the next step for them. Exactly. And, and they didn't know why they were there. And they encountered the same types of depression and anxiety. Yep. This students who went to the community colleges or who drove the Cardano Camino experience. And so it's, this is a problem for everyone it's not a problem that high schools alone can solve. And that's what makes it both hard yeah. and interesting. And that's why yeah. point B is not the solution. It's a part of a solution. Yeah. There's a whole ecosystem of people who are turning now towards how do we start bridging these transitional gaps between K-12 and higher ed and between both those and industry. Because that's the ecosystem in which we have to really understand the varying incentives of if we're going to best support young people as they move through life after high school and into young adulthood. Well, you're giving me an opportunity to talk about, my listeners will know I always talk about this because I love to talk about it, how we're sold a bill of goods around you get the college, you go to the, you know, you get, you go to a good school, you get the college degree, you get the nine to five job, and then you equal, that equals happiness. And the program that I ran for the last few years was helping all these people that were 40 or over and realized that that formula actually not only did it not work, but it, they had the, there's a reason why it's called midlife crisis. So I was helping people that had a midlife crisis, figure out how do I find purpose in my life now? And how do I actually do what I really love? Cause I always tell the story when I worked at the bank, when I was 29 years old, two blocks from the white house. And I asked a bunch of the people that were like our age, you know, middle age people, what do you love about working here? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, and then they'd be like, Hey, it's, it's retail banking. It's corporate institutional banking. It's not investment banking. I'm done at 501. I'll see you at the bar. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, why did you choose to work at this bank? Well, I was a philosophy major. And so I didn't know what to do. Oh, I was a business major. I was an accounting major. Like even the like practical majors, you know, they ended up at this job. And again, they were doing fine, right? They, the American dream, they had their house, they had their nice car and their suit, but they were dead inside. And I literally looked around and I'm like, these people are dead inside and I cannot, if this is a mirror of my future, like get me away from here as fast as humanly possible. And that's why I left this high paying bank job in this like very high status, you know, job that everyone's so proud of me for like, yes, you're the first one in your family. And here you are wearing a three piece suit and you're going to see George W I'm sure on the way to work one day, <laughs> this is in 2002. <laughs> and so, and I was like, no, I'm quitting. And then everybody was like, I can't believe you're quitting to go work with teenagers. Like you're, you're crazy. Like, and then I took like a huge pay cut to go to Stanford and work in Oakland. Right. But we all, they all know this story because I've told this so many times. They're probably tired of it. But the point is that we're, we're allowing kids to actually get clear on what their purpose is. It's not necessarily, you know, I hate the thing when seniors to your point of the anxiety, when seniors are graduating and you'll ask them, what are you doing next? And you can sense it if they don't have the, I'm going to da-da-da. 
then they're like, oh, and they kind of just, they feel bad about themselves. Like, I hate that moment. So I try not to ask them, what are you doing next? Or like, where are you going to college? And, and then the kids that do end up going all, so many of my friends that, you know, became engineers or lawyers. And they're like, I'm like, why did you do that? And they're like, oh, I just really felt like I would be able to make a lot of money. Yeah. And that's what I knew. And so I'm glad that for my own self, I think because I didn't have this paradigm of like, you know, middle class, upper middle class, like you have to go to college. I was like, if I'm going to spend all this time and energy getting into college and going, you know, working so hard and having to work full time and support myself, I'm going to do what I love. So that's why I chose history. I, I chose, I was a history and psychology and a Spanish minor because I loved people. I loved history. And I was just like, we'll see what happens. I think I'll be a teacher, but maybe not. And, but most people don't take that approach. And so I love what you guys are doing because that's going to help if you start helping 17 year olds understand that it's okay to not follow the traditional path. In fact, I really wish and hope and pray that people stop following it because I don't want to keep, um, you know, having problems for 40 year olds that are programs for 40 year olds that are literally miserable every day of their life. I'd rather just solve it when they're 17. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think that like no one should be experiencing shame that yeah. that like moment you just described is exactly what has like stuck with me more than the numbers. Like yes. under 40% get a BA or a BS. Like that's like a number. And, but to like flesh out that number, there are so many young people that we've both encountered in which we have yes. that moment where we're like, so yeah, what's next for you? Yeah. And you can feel them seize up and pull back because they know what you want. They, they sense that what you want is I'm going to UC Berkeley. I'm yeah. going to Stanford or whatever. And they don't, either they don't want to, or they don't feel like it's on the table or they just don't know. And they're confused. And that's what's validated. I always tell the story when I went to um, growing up in Santa Barbara as the, you know, not the, the poor kid, I went to see the doctor and it was one of the like popular kids, dads. And he goes, Oh, I don't, I don't remember you. You went to school with uh, X person. And then I go, yeah, yeah, we've been school together the whole, you know, for four years. And then he goes, oh, what, what, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to Berkeley. He goes, oh, I, oh, that's great. And then he, all of a sudden he wanted to know who I was. And so it's validated, right? So if you can't say I'm going to Berkeley or I'm going to college at all, then like, according to our society, you're not very valuable. Well, and I'll tell you, like, a thing that uh, in about two years ago, as I, as I was really beginning this journey of trying to figure out, like, how do you what is the problem and how, how might I begin to solve it and better understanding what's going on out there? Um, it was also the time in around, uh, like, you know, it was just before January 6th. So Trump was in office and, you know, I live in North Carolina, which is very, very purple. Um, but I mean, I guess a little more red than purple even. Um, but I live in a very heterogeneous, uh, community in terms of political affiliation. And, um, so I never had that sort of experience that a lot of people when I lived in San Mateo County in California, which is the bluest county in the country. Um, like I, I never had that experience. Like who are these people who vote for Donald Trump? Right. But, um, a lot of, as I, as I like, you know, I'm no like political scientist, but as I boil it down, a thing that really bothered me was I do think that society is sending those signals of shame to individuals who are what, um, David Goodhart, the British, um, I think he's an economist or political scientist said, is like the somewheres and the anywheres. Yeah. Some people sort of the global elite are the anywheres. And they're like, I can live in New Delhi. I can yep. live in New York. And then the somewheres are rooted in place. Yep. And I think that's, that's a truth there. And that this sort of idea of the global elite is very tied to the anywheres. 
And that has really diminished the standing of people who are the backbone of our community. Absolutely. And who really care about investing in the place they were born or have now formed roots. The other part is like this idea of a college degree granting access into the middle and upper middle class and the sort of upper echelons of our society is so misguided and is so yeah. absurd and is so unique to the United States. So I spent the past two years studying um, global systems of education. Hmm. And if you're going to a European nation, there is still, you know, every society's education system is a reflection of their social values largely. Yeah. Egalitarianism is what drives places like Finland or Switzerland to create a, a closer gap in terms of wealth and equality. There's still mm-hmm. inequality, but it's just, it's tighter. Yeah. Um, it's not like us. And then yeah. we're just yawning gap between the rich and poor. And so as a function of that, though, education plays this critical role in being able to help us assign value to different professions. And so there just isn't as big of a gap because mm-hmm. of these types of porous uh, education systems where you can start on an applied track and then move over into an academic track and vice versa. Right. Many people who have doctoral degrees there who started an applied track and you'll meet people who are doing more applied work who yeah. started an academic track. And so it's all blurred up. Yeah. Um, in the United States, we've sort of assigned value to these academic tracks and I think they're oversubscribed. So it makes sense that fewer people yeah. are going to get them at this point. And it's, it's misguided to put dignity of work, which I think should be assigned to everyone who works. Like if yes. you work, it's dignified work. And that's something yes. I just learned was ingrained by my dad, who was a land, land surveyor um, as his primary profession for many years. Yeah. Uh, that's a, you don't need a degree to be a land surveyor. Okay. But um you do need a certification and it takes seven years to get that in South Carolina. He was more proud of that than when later in life he went on to become an attorney. And it took three years to get his, um, well, three years and the um, bar exam to yeah. get um, his, his license as an attorney. He was much more proud, though, of being a land surveyor than being an attorney. And that's because he loved that outside work. It was work using his hands and right. his hands every single day. And I just think that there's a, there's a reason why there are folks in this country who feel there's a lot of bad reasons why, but I think there's one reason why some folks in this country feel very disillusioned with our democracy and our economic system. And it's yeah. because they have been getting those same messages that you're describing that. Yes. Thing, and that our schools have been sending. And I think I have sent uh, as yeah. I've mentored young people that college is the dignified path and everything else is shameful. And yes. born out of like, I didn't know what, what else was out there. Exactly. That's why part of my mission is to try and provide those types of that information and opportunity to all young people, if at all possible. Well, and I love that because when I, the first question I asked you was like, how could you go away from college for all? Because we were like evangelizing that for so many years. And even when you were talking just a few minutes ago, I felt a little defensiveness because you were, I can't remember what you were saying. I can listen back to it, but I was like getting defensive. So I'm like, well, but, but college changed my life. You know, college changed my life, but I feel like what you're what you just said was then I got undefensive when I heard you continue talking because like what he's actually saying is that college is one option, but what actually what we're saying is how do you create a purposeful, passionate life for a young person? And right now it's like you either go to college or you don't, and then we value that choice. If you don't go to college, we hope that you're going to 
do well. And if you do go to college, and like you said, we we played into this because we showed the research, like, look at the income you'll make if you go to college and all that. But I feel like what we're saying is given where we are now and where the future is going with the gig economy, my son might become a YouTuber and become a millionaire. I don't know. You know, my daughter might make it to the WNBA or she might become an international coach and become a millionaire. I don't know. But the point is that like either one of them could choose not to go to college. They probably won't because the grandparents would never let that happen, but, (laughs) but they probably will end up going to college. But the point is that college is not the only option to change your life. Right. And so we can give young people choices, no matter their socioeconomic background. And we can say like, here's the pathway. And based on what you're talking about, not only here's the pathway, but here's the support here, are the constraints. And I love the constraints thing too, because it's pragmatic and it's practical. Cause you can say like, here are the constraints to being X, Y, Z, instead of everyone being like, I want to be a lawyer. Why do you want to be a lawyer? I saw Matlock. I wanted to be a lawyer when I was, you know, in the eighties, I saw Matlock and everyone seems to think lawyers are great and I don't like blood. So I'm not gonna be a doctor. So I'll choose the next highest status career in our society. And that's, you know, in the affluent communities, people choose those engineer, doctor, lawyer, because it's very high status. And in low income communities, they're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to work because that's what my parents do. And then we say, oh, but one way out of that is to go pretend like you're in, in the global elite or the elite and play this game. And then you see these atrocious graduation rates because we're putting them into places that are literally like Mars for them. You know, going to like Princeton when you grew up in Brooklyn is like Mars. And so it's kind of broken. So I'm really happy that you're doing the work you're doing. And I can't wait to follow what's happening and to see what's going on with point B. I can't wait for my kids to be doing it because they're, like I said, fifth and seventh grade. So have some time (laughs) for them to come join you guys. But any last, as we wrap up, any kind of like last, you know, things you want to share just that maybe didn't get to share or any closing words with the, with the listeners before we say goodbye. Um, I guess like, I guess we actually, what you just brought up was an issue of exposure, I think, which is, um, which is really important. So we all are going to be exposed to certain things and not others. One thing I would claim is that those wealthy people end up going towards engineering or law or medicine because they grew up in households where they were exposed to engineering and law and medicine. And that the, that exposure gap, what I think is very hopeful, exposure is not a deep concept. It's a broad concept. So like, I often have, when I've talked about purpose and exposure, I've asked people, first thing, write about a person or an experience that has changed your life in some way. And then they'll write about it. And then I'll ask like, is this a person or an experience that you experienced on a day-to-day or even week-to-week basis where you had a lot of interaction with this person or a lot of depth to this experience? Or is this something that just kind of was a passing thing in your life, but it like really mattered? Over 50% always raises their hand to, this was sort of a passing thing. This was like a a drive-by blur of experience. And that those little experiences can really stick with you when they resonate. It's like, it can be as small as like a speaker who comes to your high school yeah. who is started an organic garden. And you're yes. like, I love that idea. I've already been thinking about like yes. how I want to be a part of this green revolution, but I don't have anything to attach that to. And, right. that. and so then I, I reached back out to them. I said, yeah, sure. Come volunteer. And now like I have a whole company that's focused on, um, you know, organic produce or something. Yeah. Um, or you said like I, that happened 
And this now is my side passion. Like this is what I do in my spare time. My day, I'm the banker. And I'm okay with that because that pays bills. But my passion and purpose really lies in this thing I do outside of it. That's where my whole community is. So all that to say that like, I hope that anyone listening or viewing or whatever is uh, open to the idea that if they're thinking about how do I get started and helping helping instill purpose in my own kids or and kids who I'm a mentor to or a teacher of, that they just start with exposure and thinking about how can I orchestrate just these passing opportunities for passionate people doing interesting stuff or interesting ideas to make their way into my school or my family, or get my kids out towards those experiences and then give them a little space just to reflect on it. Mm. It's not, it's not magic. And it can even start uh, as Bill Damon says in that path to purpose book, it can just start with conversations about your own day over dinner. I mean, teenagers are Mm. notoriously uninterested in their parents. And yet, like if you talk about your job all the time, they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. They're listening. And if, you're talking about your job in complaining terms about this weight around your neck. They're going to think like jobs are just like these horrible things you have to do to get money. But over about 80% of Americans say that they find purpose and meaning in their work. That's a lot. That means we're not that cynical about our work. You can talk about the parts of your professional life that you probably have never exposed to your kids, but that are of interest to you that are, driving you that are like helping you in some way, like be a problem solver, a collaborator, a friend, um, a mentor, manager, whatever it may be, then like they'll be listening to that too. And that will also help them gain the types of exposure that can propel them on their own course. That's amazing. I love that as a close. And I was just thinking that my son is really getting me into TikTok because he's like, if you want to be an influencer who has a podcast, you got to be on TikTok. And I've been resisting it (laughs) so long. But so you'll be seeing me on TikTok. This might even show up as a video clip. But he he convinced me because he's like, the algorithm is so much better. And honestly, it's a really great connection for us. So we can have these conversations like you were just saying about my work and being like, well, I do this because I love it. It's not like I make tons of money off this podcast or any for that matter. Like I do this because I love it. And so he'll be like, oh, well, why don't you have a million followers yet? And I'm like, well, that takes a lot of energy and time and work. And so we can have all those conversations. So that's why I'm on TikTok for all my friends who are like, why are you on TikTok? Anyway, thank you so much, Adam. It's always fun to have a conversation with you. And I love like listening to you break it down. And I think the listeners will enjoy this conversation. And it was great having you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement and without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, Our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. 
That's IXL.com slash B-E.